coming up on the Middle Class VO Podcast. What is it about celebrities in general? Well, it's point of view. And the more distinct your point of view is, and today, particularly with all the threats to voiceover in general or create creativity in general, the more specific, the more unique, the more chances you have of not only you know getting on the radar, staying on the radar, but not being eclipsed by a run-of-the-mill voice that you know turns out to be you know a robot. If you need e-learning, we're just an email away. Corporate memories and tell us what to say. Explain a video, image and radio. Slang a local car is reading. I'll be always nowhere. Ain't no stars. No, we're the middle class VO podcast. The middle class VO podcast. Welcome to the middle class VO podcast. It's Kevin Kilpatrick in Nashville. And Bobby Maxwell in Cincinnati. And we are very excited to have someone that has been doing her job for a long time. And she is one of the most respected voice acting coaches in all of the land. Voice acting coach and president of Tobias Entertainment Group. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the voice whisperer, Maurice Tobias. (laughs) Maurice, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, we're excited to have you on today. It's uh, something that I've had in the back of my mind for a long time to get you on, and, and Bobby has been working with you, and so we're so excited to have you on. And uh, we're doing the Middle Class VO podcast, and uh, we like to reset now and then uh, what our philosophy is on the Middle Class VO podcast, the voiceover. So, Maurice, what we like to do it, talk about is we do a lot of the uh, day-to-day work, the meat and potatoes kind of work, the e-learning, the radio station imaging, the uh, local automotive stuff, the uh, casino work, bank spots, uh, regular work that comes in uh, monthly. And that's what we kind of consider middle-class VO. And so my philosophy is get that uh, foundation established and then reach for the stars, for the uh, the national spots. And that's when you work with great talents and coaches like Maurice Tobias. So that's the philosophy on the Middle Class VO podcast. Okay. I would probably arm wrestle you to the ground. <laughs> oh, good. Bring it on. I want to hear it. <laughs> because I'm I'm not a fan of overstating, and I have an example of that that's, you know, makes the point. By the same token, I think you use the most the most apt and for want of a better term, the most expensive way of uh, referring to yourself, because when people are shopping for the, you know, the person who's going to frame their message, they want the best of the best. And the other thing is the, the, the work that you've described that's mostly the work of voiceover. Mm-hmm. True. You know, I remember somebody saying to me, and I mean, I've had this. You know, so many people are self-effacing, and you know, do you know, not don't make too much of yourself, and so forth. And my thing is, get out those pom poms. If you don't believe, and if you don't have a, a way of framing yourself that makes you incredibly desirable, I don't care what it is. Um, that's what they're looking for. I think you need, you know, I'm always looking for the manner in which the audience wants to receive the message rather than the, what it is we want to tell them. When I was in advertising, I was uh, in a meeting with our client and then um, the clients and the account executives, and they're going down the list of, you know, what we have to say in a 30 second commercial. And it would have been two hours. 
you know, it's it's everything and anything. Well, they have to know this and they have to know that and on and on. And it's, you know, they're just throwing everything out. And I, and I was pretty new to um, advertising in terms of working at an agency. I came from production and I said, no, they don't have to know all that. And the whole room fell silent. <laughs> and I said, what we need to find out is what they want to know. And then we give them that information and what your audience wants to know and how you want to present yourself. Sometimes, it, you know, you're, you're at cross purposes. So um, I'll get off my soapbox, but I, <laughs> okay, so here's another example. I used to take aerobics years ago when that was the thing. And at one point, um, I, I can't remember how it turned out, but it turned out that the fellow who was teaching the class was an international corporate attorney. And he just liked taking aerobics and he became so good at it, he taught it. And he and I became quite friendly. And uh, at one point he's telling me that, you know, he, he's, um, he's gotten an invitation to his high school reunion and, uh, and he was dismissing it. And he, you know, and I said to him, oh no, you have to go. I'm a big fan of reunions especially if, you know, you've got a good story to tell. And I said, you've got a very good story. Look at the cases you've settled and what you've accomplished. And I'm like, okay. So next thing I know, he calls me from Vegas, just settled a big case. And he went downstairs. He was staying at Cedars. And he went to the Gianni Versace boutique and bought himself uh, a, a suit tuxedo. So he's go going to go to his reunion. I said, I'm delighted to hear that. <laughs> and he said, well, there's just one thing. And I said, oh, what's that? He said, it's uh, purple. Okay. Well, what are we talking purple? You know, uh, violet or, you know, something. He says, oh, it's almost so dark you would never know. Really, you know, it's it's just short of black. And he said, but I spent, and at that time it was two grand. Now it would be probably five or six. And I said, Bob, for $2,000, it's not purple. It's eggplant. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Don't want to be basic. <laughs> yeah, when you go into an automotive showroom, they're not selling you a beige car. Maybe Honda is, but the other, uh, you know, it's champagne or it's, you know, cashmere. I mean, there are ways of describing what it is you have to offer in the best possible light because you're overcoming a very common emotion with those who have not worked with you, uh, and that is fear. You need to allay fear. That's, you know, that's always the first objective. What is it that uh, they need to hear so that they want to work with me or sign on to what they're listening? And you want to define what it is you have to offer in the best po possible light. I think I've made my case. Very good. Maurice, <laughs> you had just covered... Um, at, that you come from the advertising world and production. We want to know more about you. How did you get from that into coaching voiceover? Oh, it's a long and torturous path. Um, <laughs> started out, I come from a theatrical family. It's actually theatrical and uh, military, odd combination. My grandfather was one of the first uh, motion picture producers in this country. I come, uh, my parents were 
quite old when I came along. And uh, <clears throat> I often say, you know, I came from a family of dinosaurs. So um, anyway, I started out, you know, wanting to be a dancer, studied for 18 years, but I got into productions and so forth. Bottom line, I wound up pursuing uh, a quadruple major in college, and it was um, it was film and television. It was uh, theater and then French and psychology. It was a wow. very interesting combination because I went to a junior college first and I had to repeat some courses. So while I was there, I took a few other majors. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have what I call my 11 o'clock allergy. <laughs> oh, no. We're used to it. <laughs> right on time. And yeah. I, you know, no damage, thank goodness. And it follows me. So if I was in London and it was 11 o'clock, it would show up. It's time sensitive. <laughs> so anyway, that's what the scratchiness is. Anyway, so I uh, studied theater and film and so forth, got to do a lot of work in um, when I was at university. I started directing um, little theater outside of school and, um, you know, directed most of the projects uh, you know, while I was there at university. And, um, you know, and, and the reason that I switched from that from being, uh, you know, in theater was because somebody said to me, you know, it's very nice, but um, how are you going to make a living? And so <laughs> I directed. I knew there was no turning back from, you know, I knew I, I wasn't going to pursue dancing and I wasn't going to pursue acting. And um, then as I was graduating, the head of our department said, I think I've done you a terrible disservice. And I said, what do you mean? I've done everything here, film, TV, all. And he says, yeah. He said, how many women directors do you think there are? And I said, oh, well, I don't know. He said, can you name any? And I said, you know, at the time is Ida Lupino and Elaine May. And he said, why don't you think there are more women directing? And I said, maybe they're not interested. Didn't occur to me. I had <laughs> had such a um, jewel box experience of being able to do whatever I wanted without any discrimination or limitations. And he said, yeah, when you get out in the real world, that's not going to be the case. Oh, wow. So he talked to me about, you know, because I had this education. I mean, I could break down a camera. I could go to a lab. I understood filmmaking from the nuts and bolts as well as the creative. And he said, well, you know, we're going to have to find you something to do. And he said, there are really three areas where women can be on a set. He said, hair, makeup, and script supervising. Uh. And I said, well, I said, I have a distant cousin that I think she's a script supervisor. I met her once. Not exactly the closest family in the world. <laughs> anyway, bottom line, he, all of my professors were um, actors. This was in South Florida. So any production that came to town, they always got, you know, day play or something or other. So he was working on this film and he volunteered me as, and he said, I'll give you a postgraduate credit. And, you know, you, you'll meet some people. They're all from New York and, you know, at least it's some contacts. And so the script supervisor on the picture happened to be the president of the New York local. And I mentioned my cousin. She goes, oh, Judy, I know her really well. Oh, OK. And I thought, well, you probably know her better than I do. <laughs> anyway, she offered to train me. And so I trained on this picture. And at the end of the uh, the shoot, she said, you know, she said, most of the work that comes down here in South Florida <clears throat> is commercials. She said, but um, and, you know, you need you need experience. So why don't you come up to New York and finish out 
you know, post-production with me on the film and you'll come to some of my uh, jobs with me. <clears throat> Turned out maybe 24 hours after we're in New York, we're in the conference room, you know, doing up the editor's notes and she comes in, she says, well, guess what? You're going to work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. so what are you talking about? She said, the union is tapped out. Everybody's working. You're going out on permit. I said, Barbara, I've never seen a commercial shot before. She said, okay, here's the difference. And she gave me five minutes of what the difference is. <laughs> a commercial and a feature film. She gave me a notebook, a stopwatch, and wished me well. Wow. <laughs> Dang. Baptism by fire. <laughs> so good thing I had that education because the director that I worked with at the time, the darlings of the commercial industry were still photographers. And so, but they had no background in filmmaking. They didn't know what they were doing, except they had gorgeous lighting. Everything looked beautiful. So, uh, and he had never directed, and he was, he was from, you know, uh, some country where he had a very thick accent and in a bigger ego and uh, came <laughs> in with a cigarette and on a cigarette holder and his jacket around his shoulders. So if, you know, I said, the only thing that was missing was the wind machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so the first time I went up to him to, you know, give him a note, something about moving the camera because he wasn't changing the angle. And he goes, well, who's directing? You are me. Ooh. And and the uh, assistant cameraman said, well, she's she's actually right. You need to change the camera or the lens or something. So so it was a very tense baptism. And Barbara called and said, how's it going? And I said, oh, I said, I'm, I'm going home. She can't. She, you can't. You're working at another job tomorrow. The next day was the complete opposite. The uh, director, Tibor Hirsch, also a uh, European uh, uh, cameraman director, the end of the day, he comes over and he takes my face in his hands. He goes, I'm so happy you, you are with me today. He says, today is my first day directing. He said, it's my second day in the business. <laughs> wow. So we formed a very close friendship. And when he moved on from the small boutique uh, production company he was with, I actually replaced him and he moved on to a division of EUE Screen Gems in New York. They were a huge company. I wound up a few years later moving to Independent Artists, another uh, division of Columbia Pictures. So that's how I got in the business basically as a script supervisor. But as I'm watching what's going on with people who are being given the opportunity to direct, they had no no skills in terms of actually speaking the actor's language, which I learned in, you know, my university studies and, you know, classically trained. But, you know, the actor's language is different. It's not, you know, doing a, you know, doing a read like so many producers do. And, um, you know, and, and then the specs, you know, you have your nightmare section for nightmare sessions. I have what I call nightmare specs, which they seem to have gotten longer and more ridiculous um, during COVID. And uh, fact of the matter is, there's a very specific way, in my opinion, of working with actors that I got from my theater training. So, um, you know, when people were, you know, complimenting me, you know, oh, fresh out of college, and I wound up taking the exam and getting in the union, and I wound up moving to New York. And it would be, you know, well, thank you. And yet, but what I really want to do is direct. And I literally had people laughing in my face. Uh -huh. 
And uh, but there was one producer who gave me an opportunity it was a te some test spots. So I called my mentor back in Florida who had left Ivan Tours Studios. He was running the studios and formed his own company. And I said, every time I call you, you keep saying to me, when am I going to start directing? I said, I have an opportunity. We have a very low budget, but can I come there and produce them? And he said, yes. So along the way, at, with you know, I'm sure so many people can say that you've had these 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 mentors, these people who just saw you know a potential and took you under their wing and guided you. So with that, I uh, I had my right brave little 16 millimeter spots that I directed, and um, you know it was not a landslide victory. It wasn't like the industry was beating down the doors for me. But little by little, I uh, developed uh, you know, a reputation in the industry. And then I had the uh, opportunity to direct a campaign for an ad agency here in um, California. And they had a project they were trying desperately to get the client to sign off on. And I said, well, I think I have a concept. If I can sell them on the idea, can I come back and direct it? And they said, yes. And while I was here, they offered me a job. So I moved out to California, Irvine, which is where the agency was at the time. We became a division of Wells uh, Rich Green West. And then the agency was sold to uh, McCann Erickson, at which point I went back into production at the Peterson Company. And that's when I started being a guest director at Voiceover Workshops. Oh, okay. Very oh, yeah. good. I, I eventually I would get to voiceover <laughs> and Bob Lloyd called me. He was the original voice caster at the time, the only one on the planet. And he said, you should have your own workshop. And I said, but Bob, there are like 10 workshops in town, which now there are about a hundred just in LA and uh, everywhere you look, there are workshops and, you know, conferences and so forth. And so he said, yes, nothing nothing for the working pro. He said, some people are still doing the same read they did when they got in the business. And I said, well, I kind of thought the read was, you know, kind of frozen in time. But, um, you know, I'm coming at this from a very different direction. And, uh, and he said, no, he said, there's some people that don't realize they need to you know, whatever language you use, upgrade, upgrade the skills. And so with that, I mean, overnight, I had a workshop, I had a group, and if I went down the list, it would be the who's who of voiceover. But that's how I got into uh, voiceover. And as as far as it becoming the main focus of what I did, once I started traveling, it took over. And I really felt that there was a niche there that um, I was filling. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of agreement on it. And I've, you know, it's not good. It's been a great run. Very nice. Now, voiceover has evolved over the years, uh, and you've seen the changes. How has voiceover coaching evolved since you've been doing this? Honestly, I don't know because I've never sat in on anybody else's work. I just know what the result is. And okay. with a lot of people, frankly, between you and me and everybody else who's listening, uh, <laughs> There hasn't been as much evolution, in my opinion, as there should be. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that you've got to be on top of the moment-to-moment -moment mutation of this industry. You know, we are we are driven by pop culture. 
um, social media influences, influencers, uh, the same attention that our clients are paying to um, the manner in which people want to be spoken to. You know, we need to be as uh, as observational as they are. And I find when I listen to demos, you know, I I hear them, you know, a little post peak. They you know they they aren't reflecting the temper and tone of the times. And you know, I know it's an expense, but quite frankly, it's the cost of doing business. And uh, you know, compared to owning a McDonald's franchise or something, if you want to be an independent contractor, I mean, there's a there's a certain amount of staying on top of the game the way it's being played. And I feel that, uh, you know, it used to be when I first got in the business, it was what I call the parental read, which was we were imparting from on high. You know, if you want to be this, if you, you want to have a little piece of the American dream, this is the manner in which uh, we spoke to people. And it was very, very driven by <clears throat> radio, and, um, you know, very definitely an old school announce read. I mean, if you listen to reads that you did three years ago, you'll hear the difference. Oh, yeah. Big time. And truth of the matter is, it only takes one person to shift the culture. Like I wrote, I, I write articles for uh, LinkedIn. And one of them I wrote was when all of a sudden Matthew McConaughey became the, the reference. Or, you know, there's it just all of a sudden because we're social creatures and we like to have our alphas and every once in a while somebody steps up with just a slightly different spin on something and all of a sudden everybody's marching in that direction and it's not that you then become an uh uh you know um you know a clone what you do is you go you know it's not just the what it's the why why do people want to be spoken to a certain way now? What is, you know, what are the themes of the culture that are driving the producing requests? And for me, I find this endlessly fascinating. Every area of the business has its own secret sauce. And, um, you know, some, some areas change faster than others. The uh, expiration on, let's say, a trailer demo is very rapid. That's probably mm -hmm. the most rapid expiration, mm -hmm. whereas the demo that can have the longest run is narration. Probably, na um, and I, I, there are two kinds of narration in my uh, estimation. It's broadcast and non-broadcast. Everything else, you know, is limiting. You know, it used to be audiovisual or, you know, uh, corporate and so forth. Those are not the most expensive words. The most expensive words are broadcast, non-broadcast or broadcast. And those demos, the non-broadcast demo has the, the longest shelf life. But everything else, as we're speaking now, there's an influencer coming along that some 12-year-old producer is going to listen to and go, that's what I want my next spot to sound like. Absolutely. Well, I want to jump back real quick to something you said just a, a minute ago about, you know, a Matthew McConaughey voice. So basically what kind of what you're saying is don't even pay attention to the specs or the references in the audition, correct? No, you you pay attention and try and translate from English to English. If they wanted Matthew, you know, probably couldn't afford him. 
but they could get somebody that would have, you know, they're not looking for an imitation. They're looking for what I, I say is what it feels like to be in the presence of his uh, point of view. What is it about Matthew that makes people want to listen and follow? So there's a down-to-earth, no-bullshit aspect to what he's saying. <clears throat> he's also incredibly spiritual. And so you, you put that together, and it's, a, <clears throat> it's an advisory, observational, you know, it's like, okay, let's just cut to the chase here. And then from there, you do your own spin. So you're in that part of town that is occupied by a Matthew McConaughey Reed, as opposed to uh, William Shatner. You know, what is it about William Shatner? What is it about celebrities in general? Well, it's point of view. And the more distinct your point of view is, and today, particularly with all the threats to voiceover in general or create creativity in general, the more specific, the more unique, the more chances you have of not only you know getting on the radar, staying on the radar, but not being eclipsed by a run-of-the-mill voice that, you know, turns out to be, you know, a robot. You know, we're fighting, we're fighting a huge enemy right now. I've written three articles already about AI demanding regulation. But this is just another, you know, it's just another log on the fire for us as far as, um, you know, during COVID, we were the only game in town. And a lot of people developed a voiceover career that maybe didn't think about it. Stage actors and TV performers and film actors and so forth. And once they got there, you know, they're not going away. So the oversaturation of the industry, the more choices there are, the more specific each one has to be. And um, and when I talk about that, you know, I, I can see when I'm speaking at a conference or to a group, I can see a little terror run across their eyes. And I go, I'm not talking about the same read for everything. I'm talking about a point of view in the same way that if we would go to an awards dinner tonight and the guys be in tuxedos and women would be in our finery, we would still recognize each other, even though today we're sitting here and we're pretty casual. It is that through line of point of view that distinguishes you as a performer. And that's the focus of the work that I do. And you know, I'm working with people who have very established careers, but it's very easy to fall into a generic read when that's what you've become known for for so long. You've got to keep reminding yourself and 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 refreshing the palate so that, um, you know, the 9,000 other people beating a path towards your career don't get to overtake you. That's scat-worthy. We're chatting with voice acting coach Maurice Tobias, and she's going to favor us with a nightmare session story in just a couple of minutes. Maurice, how do you feel about the oversaturation of voice actor coaches and those that are calling themselves voice actor coaches? It's it's not something I mean, you know, what can I say? You know, <laughs> it, there, we're an un, unregulated industry. I think it's uh, incumbent for anyone who's seeking uh, training to do their homework, to do the research, and don't just buy for price, but a lot of people do. And um, and unfortunately, the oversimplification of what it takes 
to become mm. a voice talent. You know, it's um, it's a misrepresentation now more than ever. I mean, one of the things I, I do my best not to encourage people into the business because I think it's a hellacious way to go. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and uh, you've got to have so many uh, characteristics. My my cousin, who was more like my brother, was a, he ran a brokerage. And uh, at one point, the brokerage got sold and he decided he was going to go off on his own. And I said to him, do not work from home. This was well before COVID. so. It was a choice. He said, what do you mean? I, I, he says, you know, I'm just starting out. I don't want to you know, have an office right now and everything. I said, Bill, you're used to being in the company of 65 people every day. And I said, you know, it's just going to be you, the dog, and the ticking clock. And I said, you've got to ease into that. And so, you know, one of the things that people don't talk about is, do you have the temperament? And now more than ever, do you have the temperament to work in isolation, to talk to yourself throughout the day, and um, and still maintain your sanity? Um, we went through it in COVID. A lot of people are doing hybrid careers. You know, I, was, I had dinner with a couple of people during the holidays, and they were saying, "What's the last time you were in a studio?" And they were all having a hard time remembering. One said, oh, I, I think I, I'm on a show and I think they're going to bring us back in, you know, just for the, the first episode of the season. And then after that, we'll work from home. Wow. And you've got to have you've got to have a temperament for that. And also to be a self-starter. I mean, there are so many aspects of running your own business. that are applicable to this career. And you've got to be that kind of person. And it is not just, you know, taking a couple of classes, putting a demo together and good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. Maurice, I, I saw in a, um, a YouTube video that you were on that you could tell several things about a VO talent before they've even read for you. What, what did you mean by that? Gosh, you know, so much of what I say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. It's like when I'm doing a session or I'm doing them and someone says, could you repeat that? And I go, I don't think I can. I don't think it. I feel it. Okay. But I think it has to do with the manner in which someone presents themselves. I mean, you know, first of all, you know, if they're coming out of radio, they're coming out of broadcast, there is the feeling that that's their secret sauce is their sound. I actually worked with somebody who I would give him notes and he'd say, but how was my voice? How was my voice? And I go, mm. okay, you keep asking me that question. I'm going to charge you a dollar every time. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I have clients who have had spectacular careers and they don't get tapped on the shoulder in the in the grocery store because someone says, you're on the radio, aren't you? And I said, it is the, you know, and I, and Kevin, I looked at a couple of your, uh, you know, your podcasts and writing and so forth. It is acting. It's, you know, and now more than ever, it's it's storytelling. And it's uh, it, it's a very subtle way of communicating that you either, you know, I've often said there are two kinds of people in the world, those who get it and those who don't. And I can, I can kind of see if somebody has kind of a starry-eyed, naive kind of thing, or tell me who, you know, who their idols are. And these are people who were successful or in, you know, really leading the culture 20 years ago or something like that. You know, it's it's um, it's it's an awareness level. It's um, 
I think that's it. It's an awareness level that I can either pick up on. And, you know, I'm not saying it happens all the time. And it's certainly now because our contact is remote. Um, I'll have to review it and see if when I'm working with a new client, whether I'm, you know, picking up because I'm not seeing their physical presentation initially. Usually mm-hmm. it's email or a text. And then, you know, we set up a session. And so uh, it's just a, it's just an approach and an attitude. You know, you can tell a lot about someone, maybe because I have a dance background, by the way they walk, by the way they move, by the way they, they you know, you're sitting. And, uh, you know, if somebody turn, you know, keeps their head tilted to one side for a long time, it's like they're, you know, they have a kind of quizzical approach to life. I mean, there's just, you know, just the, uh, you know, body English tells you a lot. Okay. Who should be getting voice acting coaching? I try to stay away from should. I think it's, you know, I think we're all, you know, my theory about life in general is that this is a classroom. I think Mm -hmm. if you stop learning, you stop living. And you're just recycling experiences and challenge yourself. And uh, I mean, I I love, you know, the idea of, of, being asked to do something in an area that I haven't worked in. I remember, um, because I've done a a lot of um, uh, consulting on television shows, and that wasn't necessarily something that I had thought about until I had a client who was a host on um, on Entertainment Tonight at the time. He formed his own production company. And he said, well, we have this chef that we're grooming for his own show. And I thought he'd benefit from, he said, you know, he's never really had any, you know, working in the studio. I said, oh, you want me to help him become camera ready? He goes, yes. And from that, I've worked on over 50 shows. It's not something I thought about, but that's the other thing is the idea that you put out the message that, you know, you feel is the one that you resonate to. And then every once in a while, somebody comes along and says, have you ever thought of? And I'm always saying, I'll take a meeting with anyone and I'll consider, you know, uh, an opportunity unless it involves criminal activity. (laughs) (laughs) I do draw the line. (laughs) We all have to have our standards. Yes, absolutely. And I'm telling you, I mean, the kind of, work that I've done over the years, the places I've gone, the people I've met, it's pretty extraordinary. And it's, you know, it's, it comes from saying, sure, why not? Give it a bop, bop, wow. So your, your coaching style is, I mean, just from talking to you the past 30 minutes, very unique. Um, and I know that you don't take on just anybody. You said, that, you know, you have to look into their what they're what they're doing at the time? How does that work? Does does someone have to be referred? I think I was referred to be on one of your seminars. Yeah. Well, you referred, or I mean, sometimes you know, people who just threw the grapevine or whatever. It really has to do with, and I I I do my best. You know, I want to make sure I'm not hurting anyone's feelings. But I I've said to people, you know, I think it's premature. You know, I think that what it is I do and 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 the the conversation that I'll be engaging in, I'd like to see you have more boots on the ground experience so that you have a frame of reference for what I'm talking about, because I'm talking about people who are in the game. 
And, you know, that's that's enough of a challenge. Getting in the game is one thing. Staying in the game and growing is quite another. Mm-hmm. And it's a more subtle, it's a more sophisticated conversation, but it's the one I enjoy the most. We're talking with Maurice Tobias, voice acting coach, and we've been honored to have her on the podcast today. And we're going to let Maurice go in just a second. But uh, before we do that, we would love to get a nightmare session story from you. Maurice, maybe maybe a coaching session that couldn't have gone much worse. Would you please favor us with a story? Nightmare Sessions. Well, it's not a coaching session. It's a recording session. Oh, okay. Even better. Even better. <laughs> we will protect the names of the innocent. Oh, oh no, no names ever. <laughs> but uh, truthfully, when you, you know, you said to me, uh, this was part of your, uh, you know, this is a, an element of your show, I thought to myself, okay, let me think, let me think. Because honestly, by the time I vet somebody and, uh, you know, they they want what it is. And so I don't necessarily get into an embattled situation. But this one fellow had a reputation to be very eccentric and and difficult to deal with and so forth. I was I was nervous about not nervous. I was leery about working with him anyway. And we'd done some sessions and um and he's you know, he's just a out now control freak. And at the time, it was still a matter of uh, people going into studios and so forth. And he had his home studio and he did a lot of work from that as well. And I said to him, in recording a demo, I said, I like you to just be the talent. I don't want you to sit there looking at your waveform and going, now, why is it doing that in the middle of a read? This is your demo. This is very important. We want this to live for a while. And it was a narration demo, too. And he fought me and fought me. Oh, I'm in my comfort zone. And, you know, I have all kinds of issues about, you know, being in crowds and being in traffic. I mean, he just loaded up the reasons why there was no way in hell he was going into town. (laughs) And I said, is there an engineer you could invite in? Oh, no, I don't let anybody run my equipment. So, you know, he was closing down all the options. And finally, I said, okay, we'll do it your way. And um, I usually will have my business associate, Peter Cooper, uh, Cooper Cutler, with whom I've been working with for decades. And I have him on session and he would be running a backup. But this guy also, no, no, that will freak me out. Oh, my gosh. Wow. (laughs) He's very good. God knows he better be because it's a lot to put up with. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We do the session and must I got to tell you, it was white knuckling because every note I gave him, he did, he wanted to discuss and debate. And I said, you're, you're killing the momentum. We did prep sessions. And I like to, when I get into the record session, I like to keep you in the zone as much as possible. No extraneous commentary, just keep going, shifting gears from one, you know, attitude style approach to the other based on the material. But let's just keep you going. Because the minute you notice something on your screen or you have a thought and you want to sit back, you're now in a different state of mind. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm very jealous of guarding that mindset. It takes, takes you a while to get into it. Well, no. So the whole session was torturous. <laughs> and finally, at the end, we wrap and he goes, oh, and I thought what he said, I forgot to hit record. No. Oh, my no, no, gosh. No. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. There were no words. No words. After you gave him every out possible. <laughs> every. <laughs> the most basic, right? Right. The most basic oh. thing that you do when you're running your own sessions is make sure, you know, the little lights are on. <laughs> That's crazy. I silent. I silent. I just, there was nothing to say. It was its own comment. He said, well, I guess we'll just have to go again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I've been about as patient as a human can possibly be. But I said, you've now gone through it. It's been one hell of a rehearsal. You're used to working on your own. Knock yourself. <laughs> Love wow, it. What a great answer. Good for you. <laughs> I said to myself, no, life is too short. And again, like you said, I had given him every out. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, this is just more than, a, you know, that was, you know, that was oh. a bridge too far. So that was my nightmare. So. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Maurice, oh. uh, how can folks get in touch with you uh, or, or should they get in touch with you if they're interested in working with you? Well, I would hope so. Otherwise, okay. it'd be very well, lonely over here. I, I didn't know if it was a referral program or, or how you went about that. Again, I, I assess, you know, I listen when somebody gets in touch, I immediately check out, you know, their material and so forth. And I make an assessment of whether or not I feel, you know, it's it's the right time or, you know, and, and my first question usually is, how can I help you? What is it they're looking for? And then I can, I didn't decide whether or not it's, you know, the right time for us to work together. I mean, you know, I've got my website and uh, Tobias Entertainment Global. You can find the information there. I prefer email because, you know, there's usually somebody says, this is where I am in my career and so forth. And then I go from there. It's really quite simple, quite straightforward. I like how your, um, your webinars are um, pretty small as yes. far as that. The talents just it's just more time for us and it's just more intimate yeah yeah i like targeted and uh you know that's my preference i've certainly done larger groups and uh you know spoken at conferences i mean years ago promax was a convention and i remember the last uh of the last of the conventions before it started becoming just a conference um the room i was in for my session there were 2500 people Wow. wow, it's probably the largest group I've spoken to, and then uh, smallest one. So it's a <laughs> it's a wide range. <laughs> oh, voice whisperer Maurice Tobias, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We we appreciate your time, Kevin. Did you remember to hit record? Oh 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 oh! My bad. Can we do this again? That'll be a running <laughs> joke. Of course you can. <laughs> Not sure about we. <laughs> Thanks, Marie, so much. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thanks Same so much. Here. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. More of the Middle Class VO Podcast. Middle Class VO Podcast.